Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Chris Fuller. Chris has recently published his second book, and he's got some very interesting ideas and strategies to help you around leadership. So, Chris, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Uh, Thanks for having me, Tom. So, Chris, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your professional background. So, grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth, and um, really, I chose not to go into the Navy. had a little bit of a claustrophobia, so they were recruiting me to be in the submarine aspects, and so that wasn't happening. So, paid for my own college, put myself through college in sales, the BBAs in accounting. My first job was in a, as a director of information systems. And then I got pulled out, had got baited into starting my consulting degree or consulting practice with a guy in the construction industry. And so he lured me in by offering to, to uh, triple my income. And so, Tom, that was a, a, uh, an offer I couldn't refuse and jumped in. And we we scaled that company. I worked in every aspect of it from working on the sales side to the accounting, to the infrastructure, to the processes, to scaling and having a, uh, additional offices. Built that up and cashed out of that. Helped for uh, a couple of hurricane works for with a standard construction company. You do about four or 500 projects a year. On the hurricane work, the government was handing us between 500 and 1,200 houses a day, Tom, to tarp. And so that was really incredible to get that throughput. And so I met that challenge head on, took that cash, bought a leadership instructional design, invested in a, in a company. And here we are today, now 20 years later from the start of that. So Went from accounting to information systems to construction back into leadership development. So I grew up in the cultural center and megalopolis of Central Texas, Bryan College Station. Oh, yeah. So I have some familiarity with the weather in Dallas. That leads me to want to ask, what interested you about the Iditarod? So as I was studying, I was actually writing the curriculum. One of my early clients was John Maxwell. And so big leadership guru, obviously more leadership books than really. Now, I was on a call with them yesterday, and they said that John has more leadership words, has written more leadership words than the number two and three leadership bestsellers combined. And so I was trying to illustrate a John point about leaders loving the front more than they do the middle. So the frustration sometimes in mid-level leaders is they want to jump in and lead, and it may not necessarily be their time. And so Conceptually, I love telling stories, and the Iditarod, the lead dog concept, came to mind. And so that started birthing out this concept of Iditarod leadership. And the more that I researched the material, the more that I wanted to experience it. So I flew to Nome, Alaska, rented a guy's time to teach me how to mush. We mushed on the Iditarod trail, not the race, but the trail. And the birthplace of the Iditarod leadership book was born in negative 50 degrees off the Bering Sea. I've been in negative 40, and that's about as cold as I ever care to be. I cannot even imagine negative 50. It was a a little chilly for a Texas boy. Yeah. 
So you have said your mission is to serve businesses and business leaders through strategic growth of their people. Why are you so passionate about this, Chris? You know, there's twofold. As a leader, I've had that side where I've just desperately wanted to achieve things, but I've been frustrated by something. I didn't know what was the impediment to my success and and how do I reach the heights that I want to reach. And so I really want to help leaders to achieve their dreams. On the other side, I've been on that side of the employee side where you're just hoping and wishing that you had a decent place to work, that they had less stress, and that you had some capacity left over. When you hit the front door, there's been so many times I've been so blown out. By the time I hit the front door, I didn't have capacity for the, the things that mattered most in life. So I want to help create great places to work for the employee side that achieve great things for the investor and customer side. So could you tell us a little bit about your most recent book, Inspired Leadership, by starting, uh, who is it written for? So I got two things. Tom, when you read the first chapter, you're going to think this is written for the burnout middle manager. The story that I start with is a story about Matt, and and he's really just at a place of burnout, a walking zombie, if you will. And how many of us have sort of been there in our career track where we had the hope of leadership? We had all of these things we wanted, but the day-to-day reality is just a struggle. And so I go for that mid-level manager but I also write for two other ones. Number one, the mid-level manager gets burnt out when they're a new manager that is promoted prior to preparation. So I have a strong focus on the first-time leaders to prepare them so that they're set up for success, not set up for struggle. And then in the latter chapters, I talk about how we embed this as culture so the senior leadership gets hit on that part too. So Really, we start with the mid-level, we make sure that we equip and empower the new leaders, but then from an organizational effectiveness standpoint, we really want to impact the cultural change at the, at the senior leader level. Chris, I'm so glad you started with middle management. Many of my listeners are corporate types in various functions, internal audit, HR, compliance, legal, etc. And we oftentimes think about of course, leadership at the top, tone at the top, leadership sets the mission and hopefully moves the ship in the right direction. But it's really middle management that executes that mission. And I was wondering if you could give some thoughts on do companies really invest enough time in leadership for middle management? I think it's a neglected class, honestly, Tom. So the whole piece is your success at a prior level puts you into a place of greater responsibility. And they never really take the time to prepare prior to promotion. And so that struggle, the emotional and mental, psychological, and everything, it rolls uphill to mid-management and it rolls downhill to mid-management. And and they are the ones that are in the dailies and they are in the squeeze. They're the ones, Tom, that have to make sure that it gets done because otherwise strategy won't get deployed and the actual you know, workforce won't get empowered and maximized. So there isn't a dime. If you find an extra dime in your organization, please invest it into mid-level management. You make a strong connection between leadership and adventure. I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit and really tell us about your Mount Everest story. <laughs> so when you think about the adventure, right, there's so much excitement. When you're going on a new trip or you're going on a new adventure, You're excited to start it, but then somewhere in the middle, this epic journey 
actually turns into a torturous trot. And so how do we take and embrace the adventure instead of looking at all the difficulty and the struggle? How do we see the trek to the top as an adventure, not as an endurance race? Sometimes it is an endurance race, but sometimes we can really get down about that particular piece. For the adventure trek to Everest, I wanted to see the top of the world. I always want to achieve the maximum. I want to do great things and really have impact. And in the middle of that, I was in India doing some work for for an organization, and we hadn't set what year two would look like yet, and I was concerned that I might not get to this part of the world. So I booked a flight, flew into Kathmandu, walked next door to the domestic terminal, and started negotiating for a company to rent a helicopter that would drop me at base camp in Everest. And so I wanted to be near the top of the world, even if I couldn't take the time to summit. Even if I couldn't take the time to get to there, I needed to be near the top of the world just to see that it's possible, just to elevate and open up my dream state. And for me, that's what leadership is about. That's what adventure is about, is getting to that that state and wanting to reach the peak of the world or the peak of your organizational effectiveness. What are some of the first steps you see uh, to becoming an inspired leader? Well, the first step is to be intentional. So the INSPIRED is an acronym, and the the I-N of INSPIRED is to be intentional. If you ever see something amazing, Tom, we got snowed in in London and uh, just on a whim happened to see what we could do being snowed in in London, and we got tickets to Hamilton. Tom, have you ever seen Hamilton, the Broadway show? They didn't show up five minutes before and decide to pull that off, right? That wasn't an accident. That was purposeful, diligent intention. And the inspiration and amazement that occurred was from the orchestrated intentionality. Now, if we take that to our daily lives, if we take that to our professional lives, how much inspiration, how much achievement can we uh, start with? We can't have inspired results without intending to get there and being on purpose, not on accident. So what is the inspired leadership pathway that you've developed? Yeah, so it's about this whole piece. So number one, we want to be, and it's this balance, Tom, of of philosophical and practical. I tell you, it frustrates me like crazy when people start to promote themselves as insta-famous, insta-leaders, insta-whatever, right? I want that credible, real-deal leadership. And when people start espousing the leadership theory, like Oprah Winfrey channeling Tony Robbins, you know, and you can be a leader and you can be a leader, that frustrates me to no end. And when they say leader, good, manager, bad, I know at that point they are clueless about the realities of business. So I need the practical and I need the philosophical. I need the cultural and I need the execution. And so it's about being intentional, but embodying a serving others mindset. It's about being passionate and purposeful in what you do, integrating operations with your people, diminishing the silos and integrating fully, being amazing in your relationships, being real and authentic, executing with excellence, but diligently developing daily. So when we get to this results pathway, this success pathway, it's not just one thing that's going to lead us to the summit. It's this combination of cultural and fundamental execution that's going to get us there. And this inspired pathway was birthed out of 20 to 30 years in the operational development and in the consulting piece 
and I wove it into some of those great stories that allow us to implement it fully, to start the conversation driving the culture, but to have practical implementation to get us there. So what makes your approach to leadership different? Is it this fusing of both the philosophical and the practical? Is it you having you know, run several businesses overlaid with uh, the themes that you've been able to derive from sort of outdoor adventures? What really makes Chris Fuller's approach unique? It is a, a couple of things. It, it's the and. It's not an or culture. It's not results or relationship. It's not people or production. It's the and. But the other piece is, Tom, so many people get up and, and, and the trainings and the everything that they do is like a, a moment in time with Ben Stein. And so it's like you get up there and it's like, okay, we're going to talk about management, Bueller, Bueller. And so I've got to infuse that adventure and that sense of reality, the gritty reality of leading in the trenches with this infused adventure set to make it, you know, I used to call it edutainment. I'm going to equip and empower you, but in the middle of it, we're going to have a blast. We're going to be real. I think people learn better through stories, and I think people learn better when they're having fun. So I think many companies understand the need for culture or how culture is absolutely critical to the company's ethical values, but they really fall down in maintaining that. How do you help them maintain that after you've brought them your message about culture? We get really in the trenches and gritty with, Tom, no, no surprise to you, mid-level management. Number one, we need senior level management to live out the values and to live out those daily operations. But if we don't focus on two things, number one, diagnosing how the existing leaders lead now, how they're experienced, we have a 360 assessment, then essentially a leader's behavior can tell the rest of the organization under them or those that witness them that the cultural statements are simply a poster on the wall. And the poster on the wall isn't your culture. It's the chatter in the hall. And so as we focus on, are these just marketing slogans or is it reality? We really focus on going deep to get the leadership at every level, but certainly in the mid-level, to embody it and live it out in a very practical way. When we can get them living the culture then the rest of the organization will will pick it up through that mentorship and through that adoption of what they see from the leaders above them. Can you tell us about the RACE method or R-A-C-E, what it is, how you developed it, and how you use it to help companies really cross their own finish lines? Yeah, absolutely. Great question, Tom. Thank you so much. So the RACE is one of those methods that came out of studying the Iditarod RACE and uh, I love the Iditarod, again, because it is a medical mission of mercy that's celebrated through this annual running of the race. And the Iditarod, Tom, if I said that, uh, hey, I'm going to show up, Tom, I'm going to show up at your front door, get your running shoes on, we're going to run 1,100 miles. Now, if I told you we're running 1,100 miles, how excited would you be about getting off your porch? None. None, right? Okay, so the race methodology says, are you even ready? So the R in race is, are you even ready to run? And are you ready to run the race that is going to be mapped out for you? And what are those action steps that we need to do? So if your team isn't race ready, if they're not ready to act, so the A is action, they're never going to be able to fulfill what you want them to fulfill. So number one, we've got to get the team ready emotionally, mentally, psychologically, functionally, we've got to get them ready. 
We've got to teach them to do what we need them to do to execute. That's the action. But then, Tom, we need checkpoints. The only way that these mushers race 1,100 miles is that you don't run 1,100 miles. You run to the next checkpoint. There's 25, 26 checkpoints depending upon the year. And so we go from checkpoint to checkpoint. And in the middle of chasing those KPIs, if you will, ready, action, KPI, checkpoint, then we can evolve our strategy, evaluate the progress made, and we can evolve it. So ready, act, checkpoint, and evolve. Those are the race mechanisms that are ultimately, if we make enough steps along the way with micro corrections, then the summit or the end of the race, the burled arch in the Iditarod terms, becomes a natural consequence of a, of a perfected process. You are the only person I have ever heard give the underlying basis of the Iditarod. That is one of my favorite stories of all time. And I think most people, it's been lost the mist of history. So can we talk a little bit about the medical disaster or emergency, rather, that the Iditarod celebrates? So there was a remote village at that time. This was in the 20s, right? So uh, the remote village of Nome was was sick. And so the town doctor diagnoses and goes, well, wait a minute, this is diphtheria. This entire village is going to die unless we get the serum. So in the 20s, they, he gets on the Morse code, he gets on the, on the wire and starts trying to find this serum, and he can't find it anywhere. Finally gets a hold of the governor's office and says, this village will die without your help. The governor gets on the phone and they find the serum. The only serum is at the railroad hospital a thousand miles away back near Anchorage. Well, if you've ever seen The Deadliest Catch in January, we're not going around by sea. That's out. The only two planes in Alaska at the time were, were dismantled or disassembled for winter. So it wasn't coming by plane. It wasn't coming by boat. The railroad cleared 200 miles of track and they were done. So this village is about to die. And there were a group of six mushers that said, if you will give us this life-saving baton, this village will not die on our watch. And they took this life-saving serum and passed it from sled to sled to sled with the next to the last sled overturning and the musher having to take off his gloves in that negative 50 type and rescue those vials out of the snow and ice and to put them back in the sled to then continue to race. And they traverse this, the, some of the worst conditions on earth and some of the negative factors of the negative 50 degrees. And they save the village, uh, Tom, in six days. Now, that's something to commemorate that if we have that level of purpose in our organizations, if we have that level of purpose in our people, then it doesn't matter what the market conditions that we face, we are going to make it. Why? Because we are a purpose-driven organization, not just a profit-driven organization. Not against profit, but profit and purpose can really create some impact. I read that story as a teenager, you know, when they used to print news articles about things that had happened in history. And it probably came out around the time of the Iditarod in that year. And it always struck me as one of the great stories of human achievement for what it did and the way they solved that problem. So thanks for that. You used a phrase a little bit earlier called chatter in the hall. I think I wrote that down right. And how do you keep that chatter around culture in the age of coronavirus and working from home? Great question. So we just use the medium of video as much as we can. And we reinforce. 
So the more that you have the conversations, the more that you reinforce those behaviors, there's a couple of things, Tom. Number one, when disaster hits, it's usually too late to prepare. So the people that are doing this right now have been intentional about their cultural mantras for years so that it's embedded in the muscle memory. There's no way to start you know, and just run a marathon from the couch. Be able to build it in on purpose in advance of needing it. But really right now, one of the key pieces that I'm seeing organizations do is they're holding intentional times on the calendar to just talk about what we value. And then when you find somebody doing something right, celebrate them. When you celebrate and catch people doing something right, they want to do more of it and others want to be celebrated as well. So number one, make your values and your culture clear. Number two, tie those to actual literal behaviors. And number three, when those behaviors are activated, celebrate like crazy. So Chris, what do companies need to be thinking about as we turn towards 2025 or even later in this decade around culture and leadership? You know, well, number one, I think the biggest piece is everything is moving so fast and everything is in need of agility. The number one component that I would say is prepare your people exceedingly well. If your people aren't prepared, again, equipped and empowered mentally and functionally, then they're going to get locked up and they're going to stagnate. And so we've got to really focus on creating the workforce in a way that is skilled at the highest level, but is also agile in being able to take some of these turns that we're having. I don't, I'm not sure that we're going to you know, be out of a period of volatility by 2025. I think that over the next four years, we're going to be a little bit you know, on a roller coaster as the pandemic hits and as we come off of that and post-election and all of those things, we've got to be ready to adapt at a moment's notice. So working on them functionally, training them fully, but then also having the leadership that empowers and connects. And then from that point, that agility and that, that change management piece is so critical. You know, if we're not effectively adapting in change management, again, that's that underlying management skill. We need to lead change and we need to manage change. And I think those are some critical things that organizations need to focus on for the next four years. Chris, what continues to inspire you for this mission? You know, every time somebody says, number one, you are nailing me. I had people that, that read that first chapter and said, said, Fuller, you crushed me. Were you reading my emails? Anytime I am associative, Tom, that inspires me, that I get it and I know it and I've been there. And so when somebody says, you get it, you know me, have you been inside our organization? And then we start to help them and we start to see some of those progress pieces. Man, I am inspired and hungry for more and more impact. Can I associate with the people exactly where they are? Can I connect with them? But then can I start to lead them to a better future? And at the end of it, Tom, here's what I want to hear. I want to hear, I always say, what if you, when we can have a company picnic again, what if at the next company party, company picnic, if you ask the children of your employees, if they liked it that mom and dad worked for you? When you can add and contribute to the family fabric, to societal fabric, and 
have conscious capitalism at the highest level, Tom, that fires me up. Chris, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering uh, if listeners wanted any more information on yourself, on your company, or on Inspired Leadership, your new book, where could they go? So the Inspired Leadership book website is up. It's inspiredleadership.com. The assessment company that I own is called rightpath.com. So certainly you can look me up on LinkedIn. If you type in Chris Fuller Leadership in any search engine, you'll get to me. Chris, we're going to link to all of those resources in the show notes, but I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Tom, that's great. Thank you so much. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review. 